70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. My name is Bastian Würgenings. I come from Deutschland. Ich höre das deutschsprachige Programm von KBS World Radio für fünf Jahre. My name is Bastian Vergennings. I live in Germany and I've been tuning into KBS World Radio's German service for the past five years. It keeps me updated on news in Korea and was especially helpful when I was getting ready for my trip to Korea in 2022. Before KBS World Radio, Korea was just a country between Japan and North Korea to me. But as I tuned in, I became more and more curious about the country. When I visited Korea last year, I was finally able to see for myself everything I heard and read about on the radio and on the website. Now, KBS World Radio is definitely a part of my daily routine. Congratulations on your 70th anniversary. I hope you continue to air great programs for many decades to come. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it is the 13th of January and welcome to our Friday edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. A special police investigation into the Itaewon crowd crush disaster has concluded after 74 days with six officials arrested. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The Bank of Korea has raised the benchmark interest rate another 25 basis points, taking the key rate up to 3.5%. We'll examine this decision on Weekly Economy Review today. And then coming up on Movie Spotlight, we'll review a film that's been drawing millennial Korean men to the cinemas and another Netflix murder mystery. Let's begin today's Korea 24. A special police investigation uh, looking into the Itaewon disaster wrapped up its probe after more than 70 days with the arrest of six officials. Still, it concluded that the Interior Ministry and the Seoul government are not liable for the tragedy. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to brief us on the final announcement by the team, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So the investigative team laid out a detailed sequence of events that resulted in the fatal events that led to 159 deaths and 200 others wounded. Can you break down the details for us? Well, the team said in a briefing on Friday that compression asphyxia from crowd pressure was the leading cause of death among Halloween merrymakers in the October 29th tragedy. The investigators said that the number of revellers near Itaewon Station surged from 5pm and the crowd swelled into a torrent from around 9pm. Calamity ensued as people began falling on top of one another as they tried to make their way down a steep and narrow alleyway near the station from around 10.15pm. By that time, the crowd density was 6 to 10 people per square metre and the average weight pressing down on a person was about 224 to 560 kilograms. The team added that the disaster compounded due to overlapping errors by related agencies that should have predicted and responded to safety accidents. It booked 28 figures and handed 23 of them to the prosecution. The team most notably arrested six people, including former Yongsan police chief Im Imje and Yongsan district office head Park Hyung. However, it concluded that Interior and Safety Minister Lee Sang-min and Seoul Mayor Oh Se-hoon and National Police Agency Commissioner General uh, Yoon Hee-gun were not liable for the tragedy, saying they had no substantial duty related to the risk of a crowd surge in a specific area. 
However, it seems survivors and bereaved family members are not so convinced. Uh, they called for an unambiguous investigation into officials who were in command on the night of the tragedy in a visit to the prosecutor's office to deliver their first testimonies on Friday. Indeed, arriving at the Seoul Western District Prosecutor's Office, Lee Jong-chul and Lee Jung-min, the chair and vice-chair of a group representing bereaved families, said they will tell prosecutors that the special police team's investigation was insufficient in many areas. The vice-chair said that senior officials supervising the chiefs of Yongsan District Office and Yongsan Police Station must be held accountable, whether that extends to the sole police chief head of, uh, of the national police agency or even the interior minister. The chairperson also criticised the special police headquarters, saying that the probe outcome pales in comparison to the massive 500 uh, strong personnel under the team. The vice chair also said that the police did not brief the families on any progress or aspects relate, related to the investigation and asked to keep families in the loop. Right, as you mentioned, the prosecution will now take over for those uh, people who have been arrested or booked. And there is also the special parliamentary investigation into the case. So we will see what comes out from that as well. Let's move on. President Yoon Song Yeol will embark on an eight-day overseas trip on Saturday, starting with a state visit to the United Arab Emirates uh, before attending a global form- forum in Switzerland. Can you tell us more about his itinerary? Well, according to the presidential office on Friday, the South Korean leader will meet UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan to discuss t- uh, strategic bilateral cooperation during his visit scheduled through Tuesday. Yun, who is seeking to expand South Korean uh, global business opportunities, will be accompanied by representatives of some 100 businesses, such as Samsung Electronics Chairman Lee Jae-yong and Hyundai Motor Chairman Jung Yi-sun. According to business circles, some 30 preliminary contracts are already in the works in the public and private sector, specifically in key areas such as energy, defence and investment. Yun will then head to Davos, Switzerland, to attend the World Economic Forum slated for next Wednesday and Thursday, becoming the first South Korean president to attend in nine years. The president is scheduled to return home next Saturday, the first day of the Lunar New Year holiday. Turning now to news on the economy, the Bank of Korea upped its benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points to 3.5% in a bid to tame soaring prices. The BOK chief Yi Chang-yong also said that Asia's fourth largest economy may have contracted in the fourth quarter of last year. Can you tell us more? Well, in its first rate-setting monetary policy meeting of the year on Friday, the central bank raised the benchmark rate by a quarter percentage point to mark the seventh consecutive hike for the first time ever. The hike aims to curb inflation, which rose 5% on year in December to remain above 5% for the eighth consecutive month since May of last year. The hike also mitigates a widening gap with the U.S. key rate, which stands in the range of 4.25% to 4.5%, as the BOK strives to arrest the depreciation of the local currency against the greenback. Uh, BOK Governor Lee Chang-yong said on Friday that the South Korean economy may have contracted in the fourth quarter of last year, and he told reporters after the policymakers' meeting that the growth forecast for this year of 1.7% issued in November may drop even further. This comes ahead of the release of the fourth quarter growth figures in two weeks. Reset uh, indicators hint at an increasing possibility of negative growth amid a spike in COVID-19 infections in China and the Taiwan crowd crush and a slowdown in the semiconductor sector. Yes, we'll be discussing the rate hike further for Weekly Economy Review coming up next on our show after this news briefing. Uh, Meanwhile, in other news, we briefed our listeners yesterday on the government proposal to compensate the victims of Japan's wartime forced labour through a third party 
rather than uh, than wait for non-responsive Japanese companies. Uh, we mentioned that the proposal was not acceptable for the victims and their families. Well, today, the victims and their support groups officially denounced the government's proposal. Can you tell us more? Well, Igukon, uh, who heads a, a civic group devoted to shedding light on the suffering of the victims, told Yonam News on Thursday that the government has reduced a human rights violation case to a simple case of financial settlement. He uh, said compensating the victims is a secondary matter, stressing that an apology from Japan must come first. He said uh, that uh, the provision of compensation with funds collected from South Korean companies would would be tantamount to supporting the Japanese government's claim that the South Korean Supreme Court's ruling was wrong. The Supreme Court in 2018 ordered the liquidation of Japanese corporate assets to compensate the victims. Lee said that with the latest plan, the government would destroy the grounds and logic of South Korea's own claims over the wartime forced labour issue. Meanwhile, members of the Korea-Japan Parliamentarians Union on a visit to Tokyo held a meeting with their Japanese counterparts in Tokyo on Friday. And uh, that meeting featured the compensation issue. Can you give us more details from that meeting? Well, the visiting delegation comprising five lawmakers each from the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition uh, Democratic Party met with a bipartisan group of lawmakers from Japan's parliament and discussed Japan's uh, wartime forced labour issue, arguably the most contentious a bilateral issue at the moment. As uh, Japanese lawmakers stressed the need for resolution, Representative Soyongu of the DP said that painful historical issues must be resolved in order to pursue future-oriented bilateral relations. Mentioning the suffering endured by forced labour and sex slavery victims, Saw so said that sincere dialogue is necessary, a remark interpreted to to be a push for an apology from Tokyo. The delegates also attended a New Year's gathering hosted by the Korean Residents' Union in Japan or Mindan with their afternoon uh, itinerary, including a meeting with the Vice President of Japan's Liberal Democratic Party, Taro Aso, as well as Chief uh, Cabinet Secretary Hirokazu uh, Matsuno. Uh, meanwhile, foreign ministers of South Korea and Japan held phone discussions on a Friday and discussed the matter. Pa- Minister Park Jin spoke with his Japanese counterpart, Yoshimasa Hayashi, to share New Year's greetings and exchange views on mutual concern and pending bilateral issues, including the wartime concern. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. South Korea's benchmark interest rate has been raised once again. The Bank of Korea delivered a quarter percentage point rate hike on Friday in its continuing efforts to tame inflation as well as keep up with the US's key rate. We'll take a closer look at the central bank's decision now for weekly economy review as well as discuss South Korea's job growth figures for 2022 and a recent debate over how much guests should give at weddings in Korea. Providing us with the expert analysis is economics professor Yang jun Suk from the Catholic University of Korea, who has joined us now in the studio. Professor Yang, hello. It's uh, great to see you again. Happy to be here. In the Central Bank's first rate-setting monetary policy meeting for the year today, the Bank of Korea raised its key benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points. The key rate now sits at 3.5%, Professor. It was also the seventh consecutive hike, which is also a record. Uh, The rate hike is aimed at curbing inflation, of course, which has remained persistently high rising 5% on-year in December. That was the eighth consecutive month that on-year inflation was above 5%. So, Professor, what do you think we should take away from this latest rate hike? Okay, well, rate hike, I think, was inevitable. And that's because while the inflation is falling, uh, it's still 
unacceptably high. Uh, you mentioned inflation over the last 12 months, but if we look at uh, inflation for just the month of uh, December, headline inflation was 0.2%. That doesn't sound too bad. But core inflation, uh, core inflation without agricultural goods and oil was 0.4%. So that is significantly very high. If you annual annualize this, it'll be 48 uh, to 5.0% per mm. year. Uh, and core inflation... Uh, without food and energy was somewhat lower, but still very high, 0.3%. Uh, so uh, rise in interest rates, I think, was inevitable. The only question was whether we would go for 25 basis points or 50 basis points. Right. Uh, now, the U.S. raised its uh, rates by 50 basis points in December, and they're on track to raising another 25 basis points in January. And... Uh, because of the possible fluctuations in the currency rates, uh, one dollar rates, uh, and possible disruption to the uh, international capital flows coming in and out of Korea, uh, Korea uh, right now has a lower interest policy interest rate than the United States. Uh, but uh, in order to not to disrupt the uh, currency markets and the uh, capital markets too much, you want the gap to be uh, somewhat stable. Mm. And right now, the... Uh, before the uh, Bank of Korea's uh, increase today, the gap was 1.25 percentage points. Uh, and uh, if the uh, the Fed raises the rates as expected at the uh, February 1st meeting uh, by 25 basis points, it will go back to 1.25 percentage points. Uh, so I think they raised the rates by 25 basis points to deal with inflation and to keep the gap relatively stable instead of expanding. Right. So, as you said, the current gap between the U.S. and South Korea uh, key rates are is one percent, uh, one percentage point. The U.S. benchmark rate stands in the four point two five percent to the four point five percent range. So, then, what's your outlook on the BOK's rate decision in the coming months? The next BOK meeting is February twenty third, so that's after the U.S.'s meeting in early February. Right. Uh, so, I think uh, until the U.S. starts uh, to lower their rates, I think Korea has no choice but to follow the U.S. trend. Now, the U.S. trend is that the Fed has signaled fairly. Uh, strongly that they will continue to raise the rates uh, for the first half of this year, and they will raise it by another 50 to 75 basis points. Uh, I think Korea cannot raise uh, Korea's interest rates, policy interest rate by that amount, but we will follow the trend. So every time uh, the U.S. raises the rates by, say, 50 basis points, Korea would raise about 25. So that means Korea will probably raise the uh, policy interest rate by another baby step sometime during the first half of the year. Uh, now, that is, uh, I think, uh, you can do it in Korea because, well, we are worried about a slowdown or even a recession in Korea this year. Mm. But so far, the numbers aren't that bad. Uh, okay. We will talk about the unemployment rate uh, a bit later. Uh, but if you look at the growth rate, uh, growth rate for 2023 is expected to be somewhere between 25 to 2.9%. Uh, Korea's... Uh, Potential growth rate is 2.0% or uh, somewhat slightly higher. Mm. So we're doing we've done significantly better than the potential growth rate uh, last year. This year, it's expected to be somewhere between 1.5 to 1.9%. And that is really not too much below the potential. Uh, so, I, uh, so along with fairly strong though maybe it's a bit misleading, but still fairly strong uh, unemployment numbers, uh, I think uh, Korea will be, uh, can afford a few more rate increases uh, as long as the uh, government using fiscal policies can plug in some of the holes. OK, so for now, it seems that we could perhaps expect a one more uh, baby step rate hike of 25 uh, basis points in the first half of the year. Uh, but we'll see uh, how the economy fares uh, both here in South Korea and the US in the months to come. OK, moving on, some new data this week revealed that South Korea added more than 800,000 jobs last year, the largest growth in 22 years. According to Statistics Korea on Wednesday, the number of employed people stood at 28 million 
89,000 in 2022, marking an increase of 816,000 from a year earlier. That's the largest gain since the year 2000. But uh, what factors have led to this uh, job growth in the year 2022? How do you assess this data? Okay, well, for uh, most of 2021 and first half of 2022, job growth concentrated on the young that is below 30 and old, over 60. Uh, but uh, while the uh, job wasn't job market wasn't that great for prime age working group during this time, still the uh, rise in the uh, jobs very young and very old uh, did make the uh, numbers uh, seem fairly good. Uh, uh, but I should mention that it's uh, analyzed that most of these uh, jobs for the very young and the very old uh, seem to be government supported jobs, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. In the second half of the uh, 2022, the job market did seem to improve even more uh, because the uh, job growth for prime age working group, that is people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, seem to have recovered. The employment rate for those groups uh, seem to be, have recovered to levels or even better levels than what we saw in the pre-pandemic period. Uh, so the uh, employment rate right now is 62.1% for 2022. Uh, unemployment rate for 2022 was 2.9%. Those are among some of the best numbers that Korea ever had. Mm. Uh, so uh, by those numbers, we can say that the uh, job market seems to be fairly strong. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned before, some of these numbers may be a bit misleading. Uh, the uh, largest job growth in terms of numbers, took place in health and social services, 180,000 jobs. Uh, most of these jobs are likely to be government-sponsored jobs. Uh, and the se- but the uh, second largest growth took place in manufacturing sector with 135,000 jobs. Those are usually not government-sponsored, so that is genuine job growth. Uh, if you look at increases in percentage, the largest growth took place in IT, uh, that, uh, but by about 8.9% last year. That is pure private sector, in most, uh, most likely. But the second largest growth was health and social services at 7.1%. Third largest category was public administration and social security at 6.2%. Uh, so those, again, uh, are probably government-sponsored jobs. Uh, so a lot of the uh, job growth did depend on government policy and government spending. And if we look at full-time jobs versus part-time jobs, then a lot of that growth, uh, more than 800,000 growth, actually took place with part-time job right. jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if we look at what we would call full-time jobs, uh, 36 hours or more, uh, then the uh, jobs uh, fell uh, by... Uh, million jobs. Uh, Now, uh, jobs with 53 hours or more per week, those were probably affected by the 52-hour workweek regulation. Mm, Uh, And those jobs fell by about 342,000 jobs. But we would expect then the uh, jobs between 36 to 52 hours per week to increase uh, because those people would have moved on to the uh, lower hour mm. brackets, but those jobs fell also. Mm. Uh, and the uh, part-time jobs, that is, uh, working less than 36 hours, 1.3 million jobs are created. Right. So most of the new jobs are actually somewhat of a part-time job. So perhaps the quality of jobs created were not as good as we would expect, and that may uh, signal... We couldn't expect it, John Market. Right, so the figures may not be as rosy as they first appear to be. Uh, meanwhile, in further grim uh, figures, the finance ministry also forecasts that there would only be 100,000 new jobs in 2023. That's one-eighth of that headline figure from uh, last year. Do you expect it to be that low this year, Professor? Uh if we're talking about full-time jobs, I would uh, I would expect so. Mm. Uh, but because we're dealing with part-time jobs, uh, maybe it won't uh, be as bad as that. Uh, but that's a mixed blessing because we are creating a lot of jobs. Perhaps more people will get jobs than not, uh, but those will not be quality jobs. 
Okay, let's try to squeeze in one more issue that was discussed in Korea trending recently, because it is also an issue that's somewhat linked to the economy, although I do need a minute just to explain. Uh, There was a debate that raged online recently about how much money one should give at weddings. In Korea, it's customary for guests to give congratulatory money rather than any sort of gift. Uh, Part of the reason is to help cover the cost of the wedding. The amount varies depending on how close you are to the bride and the groom, but the minimum is usually 50,000 won, that's about 40 US dollars. However, with the recent inflation, some have been arguing that 50,000 won is no longer enough, considering the costs of a wedding now, and that the minimum should be 100,000 won. So, Professor, what do you make of this debate? From an economist's point of view, is it time now to perhaps update our social norms? Probably, but it's not only inflation. Uh, When I got married, that was in 1999, the uh, minimum payment was about 30,000 won. So if you were just a casual acquaintance that you got invited to a party, then you would pay 30,000 won. and the problem, one of the problems is that there's sort of a fixed amount that you can give depending on how close you are to the uh, bride and groom or the family of the mm. bride and groom. Uh, the unit was usually 30,000, 50,000, 100,000, 150, 200, and then above for very close family sure. members or friends. Uh, but uh, also back in 1990, uh, 1990s, uh, you can only have weddings in designated wedding halls. And right. part of the reason for that was that the governments thought that uh, it would, if you allow uh, weddings to take place in, say, convention halls or hotels, it would lead to a very much of an increase in uh, wedding costs. And that seemed to be partially what happened. Uh, the uh, inflation rate between 1990. 9 to 2022 is about 78%. If we stuck with the uh, minimum payment of 30000 uh, and then expanded it to uh, what it cost in uh, 2022, that would be slightly over 50000 won. So that's more or less in check. Uh, but uh, if you paid 50000 won back at the time uh, in 1999, that's about equivalent to 89000 won right now. And uh, the uh, wedding costs have increased not only because of the inflation, but because people are now having weddings in better venues. Mm. And the problem is uh, the average cost of a meal in these uh, new venues seems to be more than 70000 won. Right. So uh, in the past, when you had a wedding and when you got gifts, it was actually a profitable exp- uh, activity. But now you're doing it at a loss. Uh, so it probably does need to be raised. Yes, we're perhaps at a crossroads. We could see, I guess, uh, more and more people giving uh, more money, especially as uh, if they do feel a little closer to the groom uh, as well. But at the same time, there's a risk that if could look bad if you give less now as well, only give 50,000, uh, but perhaps uh, just some understanding is uh, needed. Uh, but times do seem to be changing. OK, we'll wrap it up there for our weekly economy review. Professor Yang, as always, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 20.99 points, or 0.89% on Friday, to close the week at 2,386.09. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose by 1 point, or 0.14%, to end the day at 711.82. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 4.51 against the dollar, closing the day at 1,241.31. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on to Korea Trending Now, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us in the studio today. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, jang It's always good to see you. We head straight into the stories today. So, Walter, what do you have for us first? Yes. So, Ravi of the boy band Vix has been charged with violating the Military Service Act. Now, according to reports on Thursday, the prosecution and the Military Manpower Administration's Joint Investigation Team recently booked the rapper. Now, Ravi steps down as a regular member of the KBS Entertainment Program One Night Two Days back in May of last year when he was about to enlist. 
Now, however, five months later, in October, he began doing social work as part of his supplementary service. Right, so I believe at that time, Ravi explained to his fans through social media that his health was the reason for his supplementary service mm. rather than regular service. Mm-hmm. But it seems the investigative team have found that this is not the case as they booked the rapper then. That's correct. So the joint investigation team suspects that Ravi was exempted from active duty through an illegal broker. The rapper brought up that he had epilepsy symptoms during a second health examination. This comes as major investigation into draft evading brokers that manipulate the medical records of young male clients has been underway since last month. It's been said by the broker that his clients included celebrities such as rappers and professional sports players. Now, prosecutors are planning to summon Ravi soon to investigate further and get to the bottom of the allegations. Right, I believe this is thought to be the same broker involved in another case we talked about on Career Trending late last year. Mm. That's a volleyball star, Cho uh, Jae-hung. He admitted to trying to dodge the enlistment through this broker as well. And we said at the time that more names could come out. Yep. And it looks like Ravi is one of those names. Uh, did he or his agency respond to the allegations? Okay, so his agency, Guru Burin, released an official statement saying that we are currently doing our best to figure out the situation and added that the company will clarify its stance as quickly as possible after fully grasping the matter. Now, the company also wrote that they'll cooperate with the investigative authorities in the future when asked. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yo, so starting next week, don't be surprised if you hear a new song playing at the subway station in Seoul while transferring to a different line. So just today, Seoul Metro announced that it will gradually change the background music for transfer announcements on subway lines 1 to 8 from January 16th to February. Now, this comes as the public preference survey was conducted for two weeks through the uh, the corporation's website in October last year. Now, out of those five choices, composer Park Kyung-hoon's Pungyong, or Year of Good Harvest, when translated into English, received the most votes and was finally selected. Well, while uh, many, I'm sure, are quite fond of the current tune, it's not the first time they've changed the song, right? No, but it's the first time in 14 years that the background music has been changed since March 2009, when composer Kim Baek-chan's Ol Si Guya was selected. Now, in the early days of Subways in Seoul, the background music for transfer announcements varied depending on the operator and line. So lines 1 to 4 operated by Seoul Metro played electronic sounds and whistling bird songs, while lines 5 to 8 operated by the Seoul Metropolitan Rapid Transit Corporation used Vivaldi's violin piece, The Harmonic Inspiration. Now, back in 2009, Ol Si was adopted in order uh, to introduce Korean traditional music to locals and foreigners visiting the city. Now, afterward, the city proceeded to standardise the background music for transfer announcements in the metropolitan area, and in 2012, all the lines in Seoul used this very song. So did the corporation explain why they are changing the music now? Well, the corporation explained that it is changing the music to provide psychological comfort to subway users who are tired from the pandemic and to reflect the changing trend. Now, An chang the head of the Seoul Metro's Operation Management Division, said, Like the previous one, which received much love, Pungyon is expected to become a symbolic piece of music. Well, I'm sure some people will be sad to hear that the reassuring sounds of that song go, mm. but I guess it could be refreshing to hear a new tune as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's finish today with Korea's Trending's last story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so a heartwarming story that will keep you warm over the cold weekend. In South Korea, where most of us live in apartments, noise issues with downstairs or upstairs neighbours are something that we cannot evade. There are so many stories of neighbours fighting, even filing lawsuits against each other. So we all know that it can get pretty ugly. Mm. However, a note someone received from a child living upstairs has been revealed through a post on an online community and has caught a lot of attention. Okay, and what did the note say? Well, the child who was identified as a boy living on the third floor wrote, I was injured playing soccer at school and had to have a cast on my leg. The child asked for understanding, saying, I'm sorry for stomping at home, as if he was worried that the footsteps with the hard cast might cause noise problems for the house below. 
Well, it's definitely considerate that he took the time to write this note, and people have noted how cute it was that he、mm. had handwritten it with his、uh, slightly crooked handwriting、yes. as well and his、uh, eloquent words. And as you mentioned earlier, the noise issue is a very sensitive and chronic problem in Korea, right? That's correct. So, according to data released by the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport on October 23rd of last year, it was found that there were more than 135,000 cases of apartment residents suffering from noise coming from their neighbours between 2017 and 2021. Now, the number of cases in 2021 alone was over 43,000, about a threefold increase from around 15,000 cases. In 2017. Now, to alleviate the problem, the government has implemented stronger regulations from this month for managing noise between floors when building apartments. Now, after completing construction, a building operator needs to pass a post confirmation system aimed at evaluating interfloor noise before re- receiving approval for use. Now, hopefully, this new strengthened system, along with cute messages like today's <laughs> story, will ease the tension between neighbors in this year, new year. Right, but I think the lesson today is to be considerate to those below you and also understanding、uh, to those above you. And in the meantime, we wish、uh, that lad's leg heals well as well so that、uh, he is off his crutches soon as well. That's where we'll wrap it up for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you next week. Come now to our Friday feature movie spotlight, reviewing the latest cinematic releases at the Korean box office and online. And joining me now for that is our esteemed film critic, Jason Beshevais. Jason, hello. It's、uh, hello, great、Jane. to see you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. Yes,、Good、Jason. You. Yes, you are flying solo for us today, but that, <laughs> I am, yeah. that just means we get to dig a bit deeper into your insights. Okay. What so, a shame. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's an absolute pleasure. So、uh, let's talk about the releases. Actually, no new major releases、That's、this、right. week. So we're going to cover a couple of films from last week、uh, that you weren't able to review. So, first up, it's the Japanese anime The First Slam Dunk. Based on the iconic basketball manga series Slam Dunk from the 1990s. And Jason, the reason we are starting with this today is because it's done very well in Korea, hasn't it? Particularly among、uh, male viewers in their 30s and 40s. Oh, it's doing really well.、Um, I should say this at the outset that I'm probably the worst person to review this movie. <laughs>、uh, because. <laughs> I haven't read the original manga、uh, or, the, or watched the original films,、mm. but I'll give it a go.、Um, yeah, immensely popular. It sold over 500,000 tickets in Korea, and fans are watching it multiple times because you've got it in dubbing and、uh, the, the original subtitle version.、Mm. And、uh, when I say fans here, I'm referring to those who are you know, very fond of the slam dunk、uh, manga series that really struck a chord and you know, popularized. Uh, basketball in Asia, you know, in the 1990s.、Uh, these are, you know, men who were in their teens and 20s at the time. And as soon as the film was on release, it was just generating all this kind of buzz on social media. I was seeing like pictures of the, of the poster, and I even got messages, <laughs>、uh, you know, people recollecting their experience of watching the film. And so I think, you know, nostalgia has played a part in the success of it. Um, and the original Sam Dunk sold 170 million copies, the seventh best selling manga series of all time. And the sports manga was written and illustrated by、uh, Takehiko Ino and tells the story of a basketball team from、uh, Shikoku High School.、Uh, it was serialized from October 1990 to June 1996, and it led to an anime series consisting of 101 episodes. Four films were also produced between. 94 and 95 by the、uh, well known studio、uh, Toei Animation. Yes, I myself have very fond memories of reading the original manga in Korean when I was younger as well. So I can understand that、uh, nostalgia factor. You can probably review it better、definitely. than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen it.、So. I was about to say, if you've seen it. <laughs> yes,、uh, but tell us about the new film. It's the first one in a while, right? 
Yeah, in uh, what three decades, and it's directed by um, and written by Slamdunk's original author uh, Takiko Oino, uh, and it's titled "The First Slam Dunk." It uh, it centers on the character Rota Maiga. Um, and so this is not the the original kind of protagonist in the the original series. Mm. Uh, he's point guard of the Shikoku High School's baseball team. And essentially, what it is is, is basketball a ba- team. Sorry, basketball <laughs> team. Uh, he and his teammates uh, basically take on uh, the inter high basketball champions um, at the Sano School. And yeah, the film is essentially the yeah just the game itself, uh, but kind of how the director does it he kind of um edits or he includes kind of footage from the the backgrounds of each character i have to say i was very impressed really good film yeah okay so uh yeah and i don't even know the original series but i was i was engrossed that's what i was gonna ask what do you make of the film especially as someone who's not grown up with the original manga anime well, I have to say, the animation is just beautiful. It's spectacular, uh, Django. It's, it's, uh, I was reading on the way here, actually, it's kind of a, a mix of uh, 3D animation um, and, and also kind of tradi- you know, handheld animation mm. as well. Hand-drawn, yeah. Yeah, hand, hand-drawn animation. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just really spectacular, the visuals. And uh, I was really quite, quite blown away by just the 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 spectacle of it which is what i wasn't really i wasn't expecting that at all Mm. i actually watched the um the dubbing uh which i really wanted to watch the original uh, jamak the original subtitle version uh but um unfortunately i couldn't i could only watch it this morning and uh so that was the only screening i could get access to and so I was a little bit disappointed. But actually, I can understand the appeal behind the uh, dub version. It's dubbed really, really well. <laughs> um, and um, you know, it wasn't long before I, I kind of got completely engrossed in it. And uh, the visuals are fantastic. I love the background kind of um, narratives as well. We get to... It's so beautifully edited. Mm. Um, and, yeah, the, the hand-drawn animation is... is that is spectacular. Yeah, it's a really, really good film, Django. I, I wasn't expecting that. I because I'm not because there's so much I couldn't take from the film. Obviously, me not being a fan. Sure. But there's also a lot I could I could take from it just purely as someone who's interested in movies. And I, I, I yeah, the visuals are fantastic, and and it works really well as a story as well because you've got this group of men. They're all d- dealing with issues. And you, you have the kind of the frictions among them. Um, and then you've got this the dynamics as well with these two teams playing each other. And it just really works well as a game. And as you expect, you've got that climatic kind of mm. uh, sequence t- towards the end. Because the game is kind of split into different parts as well. And you, at certain points, the, the, the kind of the, the home team is, is winning and then it's the, the, you know, the other team. And so, yeah, it's absolutely spectacular. Really good film. Wow, I'm really intrigued because I thought it would be just one for the fans, but I guess it's, it's not. For... That's, that's, that's the thing. It's mm. for both for the fans and for those who don't know anything about the animation at all, really, or sorry, the manga. But yeah, it's uh, really terrific. Uh, the, in terms of the pacing, it works really well. I just <laughs> and something happens to the climatic sequence, which I was not expecting. It just goes completely silent, and I was like, "Wow!" And I I couldn't hear anything in the, in the cinema. Just complete silence, mm. and uh, I was expecting kind of a, a roar of emotion sure. at that point. And yeah, no, it's really really good. Well, I'm very impressed. Uh, the film is second in the box office. Uh, another Japanese melodrama, even if this love disappears from the world tonight, is also resonating with viewers, having sold over 800,000 tickets. Uh, what do you make of the Japanese content that's uh, proving popular in Korea at the moment? Yeah, so often we talk about, when we talk about Korea and Japan, we talk about the, uh, the tensions between the both countries. But actually, you know, certainly amongst some of the population, there is a great appetite for, you know, popular... Uh, content from Japan and, and vice versa as well. So um, clearly that's that's been reflected in the films that are doing really well at the moment. Uh, like you say, even if this love disappears from the world tonight. Now this this uh, film was actually released what, on November the 30th mm. and it's still in the top 10. Wow. 
and that's uh, quite his, rare for yeah, and, and set well, at a yeah, and so this film is uh, the the melodrama is connecting with female audiences in their their teens and their twenties, whereas uh, you know this this. A basketball drama, you know, film. The first slam dunk is is connecting with those, you know, with males mm. uh, in their twenties and thirties and forties. I think it's <laughs> as as a population. Uh, sorry, as the popularity kind of snowballs, it's yeah. attracting uh, more and more audiences because it is a great film. Yeah, it's great that it hasn't disappointed, and I'm really looking forward to checking it out myself as well. I think. Okay, let's move on to our next film. Now it's a Netflix original. It's called The Pale Blue Eye. It's simply. Pale Blue Eye in Korean. It stars uh, Christian Bale, and it was released in select cinemas in the US before dropping on the streaming platform last week. Can you tell us more? Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, yeah. So apologies, there's not much in the way of films out this week, so I'm kind of going back a week. And uh, mm. this is a Netflix title, and uh, so you know some of the Netflix titles are actually being released uh, in cinemas for a week or so. Uh, to, I think to make it kind of eligible for the awards race though that's not really part of it in this case we saw that with glass onion mm. knives out mystery you know this is an american mystery thriller it's based on uh, the 2003 novel uh, louis bayard uh, and it's written and directed for the screen by scott cooper uh, who's made a few films including crazy heart antlers and hostiles now, it's set in 1830 in the United States. A veteran detective played by Christian Bale investigates a series of murders in at the US uh, Military Academy. And he's got a young military cadet, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who assists him. So it also stars uh, Robert DeVell, Gillian Anderson and Harry uh, Melling. Uh, a real mix of accents, I will say that. Right, OK. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that really threw me. I mean, it's in the US and uh, I know it's in 1830, but... Uh, yeah. Right, OK, that's an early warning then. Uh, we've seen a number of murder mysteries of late. Uh, the Knives Out film you mentioned, the Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie adaptations as well, of course, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile. How does this film compare then? Is this perhaps more darker, especially with that uh, Edgar Allan Poe connection? Yeah, it's a bit kind of gothic horror in there. Uh, it, it is a murder mystery, uh, for sure. We, we, we don't really know what's, uh, well, who's responsible for the, mm. the, the deaths until towards the end of the film. And then, of course, there's that twist. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you could see a little bit of... Actually, you could see more of, like, Sherlock Holmes in there, you know, the kind of the, the Holmes and Watson kind of chemistry, which you definitely see in this movie. Um, clearly, murder mysteries are resonating on Netflix. You know, they they right. purchased, well, they spent what four hundred million dollars on you know the Glass Onion and its and its sequel. They got this film, which is not cheap, uh, and yeah, uh, procedurals, mystery thrillers uh, are clearly um, generating views on sure. Netflix. They're seeing that through their data, so I think that this film is very much part of that. Is it any good? That's it's my o- question. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, the accents were just really bad. Uh, and you've got, like, some British actors kind of trying to do an American accent, and it just becomes a bit of a mess. Uh, but the visuals are good. Uh, th- That's rather a surprise, because normally British people are... British actors are very good at doing the American accent. Right, so there's just no consistency here. Right, OK. Uh, Christian Bell is kind of putting on an accent, and he's kind of not. And this has mm. been a problem with some of, the, some of his American roles, right? He he can't. He's a great actor. He's a really good actor, but I don't think he really can master that American accent. And uh, I think he kind of knows that oh, I might as well just be Christian Bale. <laughs> and he does that here, but but there is an attempt to kind of add a you know a bit of a twang to it, but yeah, it doesn't right. doesn't really kind of pay off. Uh, and as for the other actors, I think some of them try and some of them don't try, and it just just I, I I'm a bit pedantic when it comes to accents sure, in a movie but other than the accent the storyline the, the the mystery itself uh it's okay uh, you know the twist is coming and uh so that's in there it tries to turn some things on its head does it work well yes and no um was i entertained it is too long it's like two hours ten minutes and i was mm. kind of getting a bit tired by the end of it the visuals like i say are, are decent so strong production values uh, would i watch it again no Right, okay, so that's Pale Blue Eye and it's available now on Netflix. That's all for this week's Movie Spotlight. Jason, thank you you for your reviews and we'll catch up with you again soon. 
Take care. See you next week. We wrap up the week on Korea 24 by looking ahead to what's happening next week in our segment next week from Seoul. And that means we bring in our staff editor now, Richard Larkin, to help us preview those stories. Richard, hello. It's uh, great to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what's the first thing we should look out for next week? President Yoon Suk-yeol will embark on his first overseas trip of the new year as he heads to the United Arab Emirates and Switzerland. From Saturday to Tuesday, you will make a state visit to the United Arab Emirates at the invitation of UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan. Representatives of some 100 businesses will accompany the President to the UAE, and it is believed that multiple memoranda of understanding will be signed during the trip. Okay, and what about the trip to Switzerland? Yoon will travel to Switzerland on Tuesday. The President plans on meeting with South Korean citizens in Zurich, before moving on to Davos to attend the World Economic Forum. Other plans include meetings with CEOs of major global companies on Wednesday, then giving a speech proposing cross-border cooperation to fight the economic crisis on Thursday. Lastly, President Yoon is set to attend an event promoting South Korea's bid to host the 2030 World Expo. Right, so some key diplomatic events for President Yoon coming up over the next week. Uh, Moving on, what else is happening? Talks on lifting the indoor mask mandate could begin next week, according to South Korea's chief advisor on infectious diseases, Jung Ki-suk, from a briefing earlier this week. Jung said discussions could happen if the rate of critical COVID-19 cases stabilises this week. Two out of four key indicators need to be met before discussions take place. The indicators are stabilisation in daily infections, a fall in the number of deaths and patients in critical care, healthcare capacity and immunity among high-risk groups. Yes, there are certainly a lot of people eagerly awaiting the lifting of indoor mask mandates. We'll see if the case count does continue to go down for that discussion to start. OK, Richard, let's look at one more. What else do you have for us? The players and coaching staff chosen to represent South Korea at the World Baseball Classic will meet for the first time on Monday morning. According to the Korea Baseball Organization, the team's manager, Yi kang Jo and the players will meet at a hotel in Seoul to pick up their uniforms and go over the WBC tournament rules. Then later that day, at around 2.30pm, Lee and four players will attend a press conference. South Korea is hoping to improve on its last two appearances in the tournament in 2013 and 2017, where the team was not able to make it out of the opening round. Team Korea will have to go up against Japan, Australia, China and the Czech Republic in Pool B, with the first game against Australia taking place on March 9th. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for next week from Seoul. Richard, thank you for that roundup. Have a great weekend and we'll see you on Monday. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. And we hope you, our listeners, join us again on Monday as well when we'll be back to continue to bring you your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>